If you choose to become inactive or to leave the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where will you go? What will you do? You're entering Outer Brightness. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, just in case you didn't get it in those first few, few verses, right? You, you, you were dead, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Did, did I born myself again? No. He made me alive together with Christ. Listen, I can no more manufacture the second birth than I manufactured the first one. Matthew, I want to talk a little bit about worthiness as a Latter-day Saint. Uh, what did that mean to you? How did you remain worthy to hold the priesthood? Well, it, I think it's the passage that we've talked about before. I think it's Doctrine and Covenants 121, where it talks about if we try to use our priesthood in unrighteousness and amen to the priesthood of that man. Is that 121? I don't remember. It's in the DNC. It's in the yeah. DNC somewhere. <laughs> I should I should have looked it up, but um, I've got like several tabs open. But um, yeah, so that was always on the forefront of my mind when I was ordained um, to the priesthood. And I, I kind of actually wanted to share my screen, if that's all right. I had a passage on the Doctrine and Covenants that I wanted to share. Uh, hopefully this will work. Uh, it says the host has disabled participant screen sharing. Okay, okay. Oh, that's not me. That's Paul. Okay, cool. I thought that was me for some reason. Because <laughs> I'm, yeah. I have a, what's, the, what's the LDS word when you're... Uh, in charge. All right, of give it a try now. Oh, the conducting. Yay. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's try this now. <laughs> so I think I can just share cordons. So let's share that. Can you see that? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, um, so this isn't something that you can buy as a module. I, I added it in as like a tool, but um, I've just been kind of collating some books and things. So. So I want to go over DNC 84 because like when I was, when I was preparing to receive the priesthood, you know, my Bishop read this with me, it's the oath and covenant of the priesthood. And it's really important for Latter-day Saints. And so when I talk, when I think about worthiness, this is what comes to my mind. Um, so kind of scroll up and it kind of gives a genealogy of uh, how the priesthood was passed down. You know, it says uh, the sons of Moses, uh, according to the Holy priesthood, which he received under his hand of his father-in-law Jethro, et cetera, et cetera, is passed down. Um, which priesthood continueth in the church of God in all generations and is without beginning of days or end of years. Um, then it talks about confirming a priesthood on Aaron. So that's the lower priesthood. Um, so starting kind of with verse 19 and this greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Therefore in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Um, so continuing onward, it says, uh, uh, it talks about the offices. Okay. And then starting with verse 33, I think this is technically where the oath and covenant starts. For whoso is faithful unto the obtaining of these two priesthoods of which I have spoken, and the magnifying their calling are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. They become the sons of Moses and of Aaron and the seed of Abraham and the church and kingdom and the elect of God. And also all they who receive this priesthood receive me, saith the Lord. For he that receiveth my servants receiveth me. And he receiveth he that receiveth me receiveth my father. And he that receiveth my father receiveth my father's kingdom. Therefore all that my father hath shall be given unto him. And this is according to the oath and covenant which belongeth to the priesthood. Now this is the important part. So this is, these are kind of like the blessings of receiving the priesthood. But what really was on my mind is that really impressed upon me that I needed to be worthy of it was the following ones, because it just so impressed my mind and it scared me that I was like, I gotta, I gotta be worthy of this. So continuing onward, it says, therefore all those who receive this priesthood receive this oath and covenant of my father, which he cannot break, neither can it be moved. But whoso breaketh this covenant after he hath received it, 
and altogether turneth therefrom, shall not have forgiveness of sins in this world, nor in the world to come. And woe unto all those who come not unto this priesthood, which ye have received, which I now confirm upon you who are present this day by mine own voice out of the heavens. And even I have given the heavenly hosts and mine angels charge concerning you. Um, and it says later, for you shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. And for the word of the Lord is truth. And whatsoever is truth is light. And whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. So um, I brought that up because I think that's important to bring up because for me, at least as a Latter-day Saint, I saw blessings there and I saw very strict and very strong cautions that basically if you receive this higher priesthood, if you don't honor it, if you don't live by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God, verse 44, and you turn away um, and altogether turneth therefrom. So I kind of perceive that as like just turning away from the church, but still I felt like even if you weren't living according to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, then you weren't living truly worthy of, of the priesthood. And so, and bringing up again, that passage in DNC, I forget, I think it's 121 where it talks about, uh, you know, it says, amen to the priesthood of that man. There's a real responsibility to be worthy of that, that, that gift going back to the, the weapon analogy, you know, like you've, you've got to be conscious of your weapon. You have to make sure that you're using it safely, that you're not abusing it um, because you could harm yourself or others. And so it was really scary. You know, like I, I saw it as like, if I, if I don't treat this correctly, if I don't use this correctly, I could be condemned for it, you know? I, it says you won't have any forgiveness of sins in this world or in the world to come. So, um, so in terms of like pragmatically what I thought it was to be worthy, you know, just try to keep your, my mouth clean, you know, not say anything wrong or blasphemous, not disrespect others or gossip, you know, basically follow all the, the moral teachings that the LDS church teaches, which aren't all bad. Of course, you know, like a lot of those things I would agree with. Um, but it, it also dipped into legalism, you know, like, um, I felt really guilty, you know, if I had to buy something on Sunday, like, and I, and I bought it like 12.05 AM, you know, to where it was technically still Sunday. And I'm like, man, I can't believe I did that. I'm such an idiot. You know, I would really beat myself up over that and things like that. Um, I remember, you know, just being obsessed, constantly thinking like you're a priesthood holder. You've got to, got to be worthy. You know, you, you can't, you can't joke about those kind of things. I was always beating myself up and my perfectionism was always knocking me down. So, and, and also, you know, keeping yourself, you know, um, pure and chaste and stuff like that. Trying, trying not to say things or do things that would scare the spirit away or that would make you lose your authority, things like that. But I never really felt worthy. You know, I never really felt truly worthy of the priesthood. I felt like maybe someday, maybe someday I'll feel like I'm worthy, but I never really did. I had little moments where I felt like maybe I was doing okay, but they were, they were very, uh, uh, they were fleeting moments. So yeah, kind of a long response, but. Oh, that's, that's good. I mean, uh, I agree with you about a lot of the legalism stuff too, because in that environment, you're always trying to, you know, one up everybody else and be the most righteous person. And so then you end up adding a bunch of rules. So I would feel guilty if I went swimming on Sunday because this is Sunday. I need to take this more seriously. I can't spend a little bit of time in the pool. And there were a lot of people that, you know, there'd be business transactions or something and people would say, I'm not going to accept money because it's Sunday. And I just look at those people and be like, oh my gosh, that person like really takes his priesthood seriously. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I had a lot of the same feelings that, that you did where it's like, okay, this, this priesthood is the authority of God. So my standard is basically right up there with God. You know, there's just, I can't make any mistakes at all. I have to, uh, basically banish all all wrong thoughts from my mind. I have to magnify my church callings. I have to keep praying, reading the scriptures. I have to fast. I have to go to the temple. You know, I need to be, I'd feel guilty because I wasn't doing my genealogy, you know, because every once in a while there'd be a quote where like Joseph Smith said like, oh, we, you know, the work for the dead, the genealogy is like the most important work we can be doing. And I'm just like, well, I'm, I'm good because, you know, my mom and my grandma, they've got that cornered you know they've got our genealogy all the way back to adam anyways i'll worry about this when i'm 60 <laughs> is kind of what i would think but but i'd feel really guilty when i'd see that and i'm like i'm not doing all that i can be doing and you know maybe i'm not taking this priesthood thing as seriously as i should be um, what do you think paul yeah i mean i'm kind of triggered here by the oath and the covenant of the priesthood matthew <laughs> no, no. We, I mean, we used to read that pretty often 
uh, definitely like in May, right? Sometime in May when you're celebrating the, the supposed restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood, you would read it as an elder's quorum or whatever, but, um, or even like the whole, oh man, we would do it as like the whole priesthood together, like in priesthood opening exercises in the chapel, we'd read the whole thing together. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I, try, I tried to follow the commandments, right? Because there's that whole uh, be therefore clean that, that bear the vessels of the Lord, right? Messaging that you're given as a Latter-day Saint. Um, so, you know, definitely I avoided uh, pornography, alcohol, tea, coffee, and, you know, tried to avoid even, even caffeinated soda. You know, but I think back to, like I talked about working two jobs when Angela and I were first married, you know, um, <clears throat> for, for a few years there, I, I, uh, I worked my day job and then I would deliver pizza at night. And so I would, I mean, my day job started at 8 a.m. and we only had one car at the time. So I rode the bus and here in Cincinnati, here in Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area, uh, there's two different bus systems, one for Northern Kentucky, one for Cincinnati. And so I had to make transfers to get to work in Cincinnati. So, I, I mean, I was up early, like, you know, 5.30 in the morning, leaving out of the house at six o'clock, getting on the bus. And then I would come home and take the car and, and drive pizza, you know, until 11 o'clock midnight. And, you know, in the evenings I'm pounding Mountain Dew, you know, <laughs> to stay awake. And there were times when you know, and I didn't feel bad about that a lot of times because, you know, it's not technically against the word of wisdom to to have Mountain Dew. But there were times in the morning where, you know, I would go to the coffee station at work and grab a coffee so I could get through the through the morning. And, and yeah, I'd beat myself up over that, you know, because it's like, man, what have I done? Drink, <laughs> drink coffee, you know, as a priesthood holder. And it was, you know, you just think about those things now and you're like, wow, that, I can't believe that was that was really a thing. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I tried, but like Matthew, I never really felt worthy. Uh, Brianna, uh, did you have any, any thoughts on that? I know you didn't hold the priesthood, but I mean, was that a factor in, in your life at all? Yeah. I mean, I always felt like I had to be worthy to receive those blessings constantly. So there's always pressure on both sides to, for that. Um, Brianna, I, I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of Mormons have coming out of the church is that especially evangelical Christianity doesn't appear to have any authority compared to what they're leaving. How did you uh, cross that chasm? Yeah. Um, so I kind of mentioned a little bit about previously with the, with my bishops and, and my experiences there. And I came to the realization uh, before I came out of the church is that the priesthood really was an illusion um, and they had an impossible standard too. And the leaders, they weren't righteous. Um, but the amazing thing about Christianity, um, I mean, you look at my husband and he is a wretched sinner. He is a horrible, vile, malicious, totally depraved. Um, and it has helped me realize that God's love knows no depth. And if God is holding me in that kind of love, how can I, how can I be more secure than that? So, yeah, that's that does sound more secure than the priesthood, doesn't it? Um, but but kind of going along those lines too, it is really freeing because you know this is my second marriage, and in my first marriage, I held the priesthood, and so I was expected to, I think keep a certain uh, i don't know how to say like appearance you know a certain like i needed to appear to be a certain level of righteous and, and it, it made me feel weaker if i wasn't like a lot of latter-day saints don't don't show uh who they really are or how they really are and, and it's great to uh it's freeing to be like you know what my wife knows that i'm that i'm a sinner and i don't have to the the standard isn't perfection her standard for me isn't perfection and, and that is really a lot healthier in a marriage, I think. And she's right. I am a wretched sinner. So thank, thank God for <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, all right. Matthew, do you have any thoughts on that? I'd like to know uh, how you were able to bridge the gap and uh, come into Christianity, even though it may not have appeared to have any authority. 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to bring up uh, the couple passages that we have later on in the discussion, the first Peter two and um, Hebrews five to a different extent. But yeah, um, that was, I've, I mentioned another podcast too, how it was a real struggle for me because I really associated my worth and my identity with the priesthood serving in the temple, doing endowments, doing baptisms for the dead in the temple. And um, so it was a difficult, it was a struggle for me to lift that up and to acknowledge that I'm not an elder. I'm not endowed. I don't have a special sacerdotal priesthood. I don't have some special kind of authority that others don't, you know, like when and attending a church, I felt like I was sidelined, you know, like, like when I came home from my mission going backwards, when I came home from my mission, I was begging my bishop for months for a calling because I just felt useless. You know, like I, I, I mean, I was struggling with school and I was hardly getting any sleep, but I still felt like I wanted a calling of some kind to feel like I belonged, like I could serve somehow. And, um, and so it was even worse when I left the LDS church and I started attending a Christian church. Cause it was like, you know, I didn't participate in anything. Um, I wasn't asked to pray either in our meetings, you know, because I wasn't a member technically. Um, I wasn't, you know, I couldn't, you know, talks were not a thing, you know, the pastors preach sermons. So I was basically, I'd go and I'd hear the preaching and I'd go home and it was really weird, but uh, it just took time. It just took time and understanding that you, you can fulfill needs in the church that don't require being an elder or a pastor or have some kind of authority, just being in the congregation and using the gifts God gives you in whatever way possible, whether it's making friends with people at the church or whether it's sharing an insight you had about a passage of scripture in the Bible that week with someone, or um, if you have musical talents, you know, using that, whatever it is, there's, there's a way for you to, God's given you those gifts and he's put you in that church. He's knit, he's knitted you into that community for a reason. And when I kind of understood that, I thought, okay, yeah, maybe I'm not on some kind of awesome, magical priesthood uh, pedestal. Like I thought I was in the LDS church, but I'm still needed. I'm still wanted, you know, God still chose me also a wretched sinner for some reason, for his reasons, for his plan and for his glory. And so I should, I, it kind of made me realize it's not about me. It's not about my need, fulfilling my needs, you know, my ego, whatever, you know, God saves us to glorify him, you know, to point others to him, to worship him. And that's the focus that we really need to to remember. And when I started kind of, when God changed my heart and turned me that direction, it made, you know, it didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter that, that I didn't have some kind of special power. It didn't matter that I wasn't an elder anymore. So I think it just really took God, you know, working in me to, to change my mind on that. Yeah. I, I really like what you said about gifts. That is a, a great answer. Cause I remember kind of hearing about that in, in my church too. And, and then talking about how God's given us these gifts and, and that's going to determine uh, how we're going to help out in our church family. I thought that was really cool because before that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all this freedom in Christ. What do I do with it? Um, I'm, you know, I'm so used to the bishop just kind of telling me what calling to do, and I don't have to think about it. And now all of a sudden, there's all these choices, and how am I supposed to decide? And and then when they talk about gifts and, and you know, help you kind of figure out what what that is, it starts to really narrow that down. And you're like, okay, I do know what what they need me for and, and what I'm intended to do. And it's it's great because you'd have callings in the LDS church sometimes that were more based on necessity than uh, inspiration. You know, it's like, oh, and I'd see it all the time because I would be in their meetings in the morning. It's like, oh, we got a new family. Great. Throw them in the nursery. Like we need somebody there. And it's like, well, okay, so you didn't even pray about it. Like it's just we're we're doing this, it looks like. Um, Paul, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I remember. So we had some family friends, uh, Jason and Emily. Uh, Jason and I served together in an elders quorum presidency uh, the last few years that we were in in the LDS church. And he, he started going through a pretty significant faith crisis to the point where he asked to be released uh, from, from elders quorum and, and then got a really, you know, was given a really hard time about it uh, because that's a, you know, that's a calling that comes from the stake level. And um, so he had to ask the stake president to be released and all that kind of, kind of stuff that, um, and then, you know, I remember there was a stake conference uh, or a ward conference where the stake presidency came and they were given a lesson and, and I kind of, 
that it was kind of clear from the lesson that they were uh, referring to him as the Ezra. And it really kind of bothered me because I'd, I'd served with him for a couple of years and we were good friends. And um, so when, you know, we, we ended up leaving around that time too, we were on our way out, but that was kind of the final, final straw to see someone we knew and loved treated that way. Um, and so I was, I was kind of already at a point uh, then where I, I didn't feel that sense of, you know, puffed up chest about being a priesthood holder anymore. Uh, I kind of, I recognized that there was this LDS doctrine of the priesthood, but it, I didn't ascribe any power to it anymore. You know what I mean? I, I just kind of like, well, that's the doctrine. And, and, but I enjoyed serving in the church where I could serve. Um, so when we left, uh, we started attend. you know, I think I've talked about, it. we started church hopping to try to find the, a church to attend. And we, we started attending the church we attend like Lakeside Christian. And, um, you know, we'd been going there for several months and, and Emily and Jason came and spent an afternoon with us. And we went to see a movie together um, before, but before we went to the movie, we were just kind of hanging out at our house and sitting around the table and uh, <laughs> just kind of talking about some stuff. And um, I remember Emily asked me, you know, so this new church you're going to, you know, what's what's their view on priesthood? And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't really know, you know, and because I wasn't really thinking about that. Because uh, like I said, I'd, I'd reached the point where it wasn't really important to me anymore. So I was really kind of just focused on Jesus and and, and learning you know, learning about Jesus through the sermons and that kind of thing. I wasn't really thinking about priesthood too much. Um, and so she's, she asked, you know, is it sort of like, you know, Luther's uh, priest of all believers view, you know, and I was like, uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't really know, you know, but that kind of got me thinking. Uh, so, so I asked, you know, our pastors, you know, okay, so, so what about, you know, the, the view of ordination here, you know, who gets ordained, why, to what service, you know, what are the answers to this question here? You know, so that's, that's when I started kind of asking questions and, and, and learning more about uh, what my church teaches and, and believes about that. But um, in terms of overcoming, overcoming it, um, I, I think that all kind of happened before I left where I just had kind of lost the view that, that there was actually this exclusive priesthood that had been restored. So it wasn't something that for me leaving, I was like, oh, I've got to figure that out now. Where is, where is the actual priesthood? I, I had never felt that leaving. So that's interesting that you kind of already had changing views about that before you left, because even after I was transitioning out and kind of felt like I was leaving or, or out of the church, I still struggled with thoughts related to the priesthood, you know? So it's interesting that, that you had already kind of left those ideas, but we're still clinging to the church. I just find that interesting. So was it like yeah. uh, heritage or like certain doctrines that kept you in or, you know, that you were struggling to let go of or what was it? Yeah. The, so the doctrine that, that kept us in for the longest time was, was eternal marriage. And it, it's, it's kind of contradictory to what I'm saying, what I was saying previously, because that's a priesthood ordinance. Right. Um, but we, it, it was really kind of the uh, 19th century romantic view of you know, I mean, you hear in the, you hear in the LDS church, people talk about, oh, like we knew each other in the pre-existence, and we were, we promised to be together, and that's why we're married now, and those kind of things that people these these romantic views that people hold uh, about marriages within the LDS church. So that was kind of our thing, um, and yeah, for so for a long time that that was it, right? It was okay. So if we leave this, uh, then. What, what does that mean? We're not going to be married in the afterlife. What will our relationship be like? We really love each other, <laughs> you know? Uh, so what does that mean for our relationship? So yeah, that was kind of the last domino to fall uh, for us. Um, and, you know, I, I read uh, Mysteries of Godliness. I don't know if you've heard of that book or not, but it kind of goes through uh, the, the temple ceremonies and, and all of that. Um it's a it's signature books published it. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of, kind of took that away from me. And then it was a matter of having conversations with Angela and just kind of getting aligned on that. Like uh, we had, we had to get to the point where we were willing to say, okay, if, even if uh, the true, the truth about the afterlife is that we won't be married in the way that the LDS church teaches, even if that's what is true, but we have Jesus then we have everything that matters. And when we reached that point, we didn't stay anymore. Awesome. Well, praise God that he did bring you to that point. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of those things are just kind of designed to, to keep our eyes off of the savior. You know, the, the priesthood definitely does that. It, 
puts our eyes on ourselves and our worthiness and it, it puffs us up. I think the same thing is true of, of eternal marriage too. It takes our eyes off of Christ and it, it puts our eyes on our spouse. And it, it makes, it really it's us saying that, that Christ isn't sufficient for us. That there's something else. We need a, a cherry on top for it to be worth it. And uh, yeah, I, I praise God to you that, that your eyes were open, Paul, and, and that you're able to, to see, you know, Christ, that, that he was really the, the greatest prize that, that we can have. And, and that it over, he overshadows everything else. Yeah, um, man, he's everything. Absolutely. Um, I was just going to kind of finish up with uh, kind of my, how I kind of came out of the church. It was, it was really threefold, three things that had to happen. Three dominoes that helped me uh, transition from, from being Mormon to being a Christian. Uh, the first thing that happened was me beginning to doubt the leaders. Uh, first of all, I started, you know, I was in the debate groups. Uh, I was in Evangelicals and Latter-day Saints debating the, the crazy Christians as a Mormon, and they'd be pulling out these you know quotes from Joseph Smith. Oh, there are men on the moon as tall as Quakers, or you know one of the one of the prophets. I don't remember which one said that uh, we would never reach the moon. And I'm like, okay, like some of these things that they've said are demonstrably false. And and then there was the whole thing where they came out with the policy saying that, you know, children of gay parents couldn't be baptized. And, and I disagreed with that. And I'm just like, okay, the, the Bible says, you know, if, if someone should offend one of these little ones, it's better that a, a millstone was hanged around their neck and they were thrown into the ocean. Like, I don't think this is the same God. I don't think that Jesus would have uh, put out a policy like this. And, and it went against the second article of faith. And I felt like the spirit was telling me something different. And so the first thing was I, I doubted that the leaders really had this authority. And so I realized that it was an illusion. Um, you know, it was, it was just, uh, I don't know, like a, a faith promoting story to, to kind of keep us all tethered to the church. But I really, that view deteriorated. Uh, the second thing is I came to learn about imputed righteousness. Sorry, guys, I had to say it at least once in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right paul time to take a shot we've got, we've got a drinking game going on <laughs> i got a bingo, a bingo. <laughs> um but it's just the thing where if if christ did everything that needed to be done to to merit heaven and his righteousness is accredited to me then that actually negates the need to have priesthood ordinances at all and if there's no need to have priesthood ordinances there's no need to have priesthood holders giving those ordinances. And so that crumbled away. And then finally, and this kind of came later, I, I did become a Christian, not even really thinking anymore about priesthood. But I, when I learned about the priesthood of all believers, that was something I hadn't really known much about before. And it's, okay, there is a, a priesthood authority that is given to everybody who believes in Christ, whereby we become uh, his priests, essentially. So knowing that it's like, okay. Cause I, I never knew that evangelical Christians even claimed any sort of authority. And, uh, and so that, that totally flew under my radar for years. I had no idea about this. Uh, so that kind of brought everything full circle for me. And that's how I was able to bridge that, that chasm. Yeah. I'm on the yeah. same boat with you along with, uh, imputed righteousness. That was, that was kind of like one of the, the, yeah, the, the nails in the coffin for me also was this idea that, I mean, I can access, I can gain access to God directly. Like I don't have to go through this organization, through all these ordinances and, you know, through my, my leaders, you know, I can just go straight to Jesus. Like that, that, that just like, you know, open the veil in my mind just so clearly. It's like when, if you're, if you're righteous by not what you've done, but by believing in him who was perfectly righteous, then it's like everything that the LDS church offers me, it had no, you know, it's like someone sell, trying to sell you a car and you find out it's missing an engine and the muffler's broken, you know, you look under the hood and you're like, I don't want this car anymore. What do you, <laughs> you think I'm going to buy this car? No, I'll pass, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, one of the, the, the stories I always find the most amusing in the new Testament is, um, is when Jesus is fasting and Satan appears to him and basically shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give you all of this if you will fall down and worship me. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. He's offering Jesus something that is rightfully his, you know? And, and I really feel like that is basically the same kind of deal that the LDS priesthood offers us too, because Jesus is our mediator with the father and the priesthood, 
the LDS priesthood comes in there and says, no, we're the mediator between you and the mediator. It's like, no, I don't need a mediator between me and a mediator. That's ridiculous. Um, this is this is completely unnecessary. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, I have to say amen to that, Matthew. We, we can go directly to God and, and receive our salvation right there. Yes, that's interesting, Michael. Um, you know, we were talking earlier, a little bit earlier about um, about some things and, and I, you know, brought up the fact that, you know, I left the LDS church in, in May of 2010, uh, started attending uh, another church uh, consistently the next month, uh, a year or so later in August of 2011, um, I was baptized into Christ. And then in uh, May of 2012, uh, when our anniversary rolled around, we really started to think seriously, you know, we'd come to the point at uh few years earlier, as I mentioned, where we had realized, you know, if we've got Jesus, you know, and, and, and the Bible teaches that there's no marriage in heaven and then so be it, you know, we have Jesus and that's all that matters. Um, and in that, then in 2012 at our anniversary, we realized, okay, and it's time to, it's time to cut ties, you know? So I wrote the letter of resignation and received the letter back from uh, a bishop that I had never met, uh, who was newly installed in the ward uh, where we lived and, you know, kind of warning me that, you know, like I, I got your letter asking that your, you and your wife and your family's names be removed from the records of the church. Please be aware that this is going to cancel all uh, priesthood ordinances, inc- including your baptism. Right. And I think back on that and I think, you know, how ludicrous is that? You know, in 2011, I was baptized into Christ. And then there's this organization threatening that, oh, you know, the stuff we did for you, it's, it's all going to be taken away from you, you know, the, the organization. Um, and I wanted to comment kind of on one other thing, because we've been talking about the priesthood of all believers. Uh, you know, I remember I remember there, in the LDS church, there's kind of this view, too, that it's not just about the hierarchy that that kind of makes their view of priesthood superior. It's also the fact that anybody can hold it, right? It's kind of this democratic view. Every man can hold the priesthood. Right. I, I shouldn't say anybody because it's every man. Sorry, Brianna and and any other women. You're not allowed. But um, it, there's kind of this democratic view of priesthood at the local level uh, that, you know, in, in, every man can hold it. Uh, every worthy man can hold it. And and yet at the same time, if if LD, when LDS kind of look at other denominations who talk about the priesthood of all believers, they lose their minds. What are you talking about? How can there be a priesthood of all believers? Well, it's, it's sort of the same position you hold, except when you really kind of start scratching and pulling at the, the threads on the sweater of the LDS church, you realize it's it's really a, a strong hierarchical model. It's really not democratic. It's interesting. Yeah. There, there's a there's a book. I think it's, who is it? Greg Prince? I think his last name is Prince. I can't remember his name. He talks about the authority. And I mean, you can find in a lot of books, where, but he posits that Joseph Smith was working towards women having the priesthood, you know, with, with the temple ordinances and having women officiating mm-hmm. in the temple mm-hmm. and your women are given the robes of the priesthood mm-hmm. and they're officiating in the temple, which is something in the old Testament that only priests did. Yeah. So some people think that if he had lived a little longer, he might've given women the priesthood. But And some people argue that he already did because of the things you stated about the temple. Yeah. And some people argue that the restoration isn't finished yet. <laughs> so. There's more to come. <laughs> Stay tuned just, for season 455. Stay with us. Don't yes. leave us. We'll give you more. <laughs> it's only 10% of the way done after 200 <laughs> years. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, guys, do you uh, do you want to keep going a little longer? Do you want to call it for tonight? I know the next couple of questions are all related to each other. So, uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I've got pretty short answers to the next several. I'm, I'm good to go for a little while if you guys are. If we want to kind of try to go to... I don't know. However, however long you guys want to. I was thinking maybe. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're no. Good. I, I don't um, think you have anything else to say. Anything? Really? Yeah. You've already made all your comments. Pretty much. I mean, except for maybe one one thing. That's it. So what was the was the big comment about? Was that about Michael being totally depraved? <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was one other thing that. I kind of posted this in Ex Mormon Christians, but I made this discovery that they were prophetesses in the Bible. And I was just like, what? There are female prophets? And like, I learned about Deborah 
when we were reading Judges chapter two, and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's a freaking beast. <laughs> she, was, she was awesome, and yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I I brought it up to my uh, to my brother, my LDS brother. I'm like, how do you explain this this prophetess? He's like, well, my take is that you know there's people who have the gift of prophecy, but they're not actually prophets i'm like well then why do we need prophets <laughs> if anybody yeah. can have the gift of exactly. prophecy and and the other problem is in, in mormonism there's this you know kind of a hierarchy too as far as who you can receive revelation for and so you know you have to be the prophet to receive revelation for for a whole nation and she she couldn't have been according to lds theology that's impossible so it is it is a big problem um but yeah, that was the last thing. I can go ahead and uh, I'll just I'll just keep going through the questions. But if if you want to go, you can. If you don't have anything else, really. Yeah, I'll probably go. But thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate your input. I'll yep, get offer a vote of thanks. Please <laughs> show by the uplifted hand. <laughs> That's great. Right, see I'm gonna I'm gonna scoot over and take your. Okay. Yeah, leave the chair right there. So I can't. You're listening to Outer Brightness, a podcast for post-Mormons who are drawn by God to walk with Jesus rather than turn away. Outer Brightness. Outer Brightness. Outer Brightness. There's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth here, except when Michael's hangry, that is. Hangry, that is. Hangry, that is. We were all born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah, more commonly referred to as the Mormon faith. All of us have left that religion and have been drawn to faith in Jesus Christ based on biblical teachings. The name of our podcast, Outer Brightness, reflects John 1, 9, which calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone. We have found life beyond Mormonism to be brighter than we were told it would be, and the light we have is not our own. It comes to us from without, thus Outer Brightness. Our purpose is to share our journeys of faith and what God has done in drawing us to His Son. We have conversations about all aspects of that transition, the fears, challenges, joys, and everything in between. We're glad you found us, and we hope you'll stick around. Okay, uh, let me ask you this first, Paul. How does the leadership in your church differ from that of Mormonism? So, several ways. There's kind of like the structure, and then there's just how they operate, right? So structure, structurally, we're an independent Christian church uh, that operates on a congregational model. Uh, so we're led by a board of elders uh, at the local level that are selected by the congregation. Uh, once a year, there is a congregational meeting at which uh, if there are openings on the eldership board, uh, men's names are put uh, forward as nominees and votes are taken and new elders are selected to be on the board. Uh, our lead pastor is also an elder uh, on the board. Uh, so the board of elders works together with the lead pastor to guide the church and be shepherds to the church. Um, uh, and like I said, as, as an independent Christian church, we don't have a hierarchy beyond uh, the local church. Uh, so the local church is autonomous uh, in, terms, in terms of governing itself. Uh, we are part of a, a broader movement that that includes many many other churches, um, but the you know other churches and there's no there's no hierarchical hierarchical structure that has authority over the local churches, um, even though we're we're affiliated. Um, and so yeah, that that that's like a big uh, you know the the autonomy of the local church is is a big uh, part of our movement in particular. There you know when. Uh, Within the movement, there started to be kind of the development of missionary societies. People saw that as as uh, the potential for the development of a hierarchy because they were kind of parachurch uh, ministries, and so Bible societies and, and missionary societies. And so there were there were splits in the movement over over that. You know, churches that 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 would be part of a missionary society versus those that would not because it was seen as a threat to the autonomy of the local church. But um, yeah, that's how we we uh, we operate from a from a polity standpoint. Um, in terms of how the the leadership themselves, the individuals operate, uh, it's definitely different than than uh, in Mormonism. You know, there's no uh, they don't reach out and make callings to you. Uh, they might reach out and say, "Hey, you know, can you do this?" But it's not a you know they're not going to extend a formal calling to you. They might just reach out and say, "Hey, you're you're pretty gifted at you know 
at teaching or at, uh, you know, uh, pastoral skills, you want to be involved in the hospital ministry, you want to be involved in teaching that kind of thing, uh, just from, from interacting with you. But yeah, it's not a, it's not a calling. Um, so it's different in that regard. Uh, I think I've already touched on a few of the other things where, you know, they don't uh, presume to be, uh, trained counselors. So if, if there is a, a situation in, in a marriage or a person's life that, that is going to require uh, other people's expertise, uh, they will definitely refer you, which I think is refreshing. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. All right, Matthew, how, how about your church? Yeah, uh, pretty similar to Paul's. So we're, I'm a member of a, a confessional Reformed Baptist church. So, yeah, we also have a congregational model, understanding, understanding that to mean that, um, yeah, it's led by elders and there are also deacons that serve as officers in the church. Um, and we're also, they're also chosen from among the members of the congregation. We don't have like a, um, we don't have like an elders board or anything. We just have two pastors that are elders and they, so they pertain, you know, they're focused on the spiritual things as scripture divulges and then deacons are there to assist them in their efforts, you know, maintaining the building, keeping everything clean, things like that. Um, so that the elders can focus more on preaching and, and shepherding the flock. And, um, so, and that's, that's the leadership in terms of what actually leads a church. So there are people who teach and there are people who teach Sunday school and things like that, but those aren't like priesthood callings. And, um, I think, I mean, I mean, obviously I wouldn't say it's, I mean, I wouldn't attend a church. I didn't think is biblical, but I think when we see in, in scripture, we see qualifications given by Paul in Titus chapter one and first Timothy three for elders and deacons or, you know, elders are also referred to as overseers. And so um, throughout scripture, we also see in the new Testament, we see overseers, which are bishops in the Bible or in the King James Bible overseers and elders and pastors, they're kind of used interchangeably. So we don't have, you know, like there's, there's not like a three tiered organization, like a lot of Anglicans have, you know, they'll have like deacons, priests, bishops over them. So we just, we see elders as being the ones that lead the church um, at a local level and then deacons that, that also help them in their, in their tasks and then the congregation. But we do believe that the, the elders do have actual authority. It's not as if, you know, there's some congregational churches that have this polity of like elders kind of like preaching and, and doing things, but then everything, every decision comes down to a vote. So like democratic um, but that's not really how it works. Like, you know, for us, we, we see scripture as elders actually having authority to lead the church. So, you know, we, we do submit to their authority when they make decisions, they'll ask us for their, for our input. And, you know, a lot of times they will take that into, you know, very serious consideration when they're making decisions. But at the end, the end of the day, for a lot of decisions, it's really up to the elders to decide. So that's kind of a long answer, but hope that makes sense. So it's, it's uh, a little bit similar, I think to Paul's, but, um, Slightly different, I think. Yeah, I think mine is uh, is pretty similar to both of you guys' too. Um, I don't know exactly how it works 100%, but they've got a board of elders, and then they've got the deacons that maintain the building and, and do all that stuff. Um, and yeah, they do uh, they do vote in those elders, and then I, I believe they vote among themselves who the, who the pastor is going to be. But I was really shocked to find, uh, because we went to the, I guess, the new member meeting to become official members of the church um probably a month ago or so we just became formal members uh but we were allowed to ask any questions we wanted and so we were asking them about how the church functions and and all the leadership roles and the pastor said you know he's not even the lead elder and that just blew my mind i'm like what like there's no hierarchy there's no chain of command it's you're not like the greatest elder and you're the pastor like how is that uh, that doesn't make sense. You know, it just didn't, didn't compute. Um, but, but then I thought it was really cool. Uh, you know, it definitely uh, made the leadership feel more down to earth, more relatable to me. And that's one of the things that I really missed out on in the LDS church. Cause you know, the Bishop might feel relatable, but if you were ever had a, uh, I guess an apostle or the prophet come visit your ward, that was a totally different, situation they did not feel relatable i don't know if you guys have ever been in in a situation like that but um i remember they would walk in you know you all had to be seated before they would even bring the person in and then you had to all be standing up when he walked in standing up as he walked out there was never really uh, a chance to talk to them you know they were just 
just a figurehead, just somebody for us to see more than anything or and hear, uh, but not to have any sort of relationship with. And so that's one of the things I found really refreshing about my church now is, uh, you know, the, the pastor, I almost call him the bishop. This is one of the funny things too, is I always want to tell people, oh, I'm new in the ward. I'm like, wait, this isn't a ward. Like I need to stop using this, uh, this language. And that's not a bishop. He's, he's the pastor, you know? Um, but you know, he, he, uh, remembers things that we tell him and, uh, goes out of his way to, to make us feel welcome and, and talk to us on Sunday when he sees us. And, you know, I just really feel like, okay, this guy really cares. And, um, and it's kind of going into my next question and I'm going to go ahead and answer it first, but it is, uh, you know, it, was it difficult to trust the leadership in your church? And I think for me, at least, this was one of the, the biggest struggles coming out of Mormonism uh, was trying to, to find a good church to go to. And I would go to churches and, and uh, I, I jumped around a lot at first because I wouldn't agree with the pastor's preaching style. Like it would be very seeker sensitive or, you know, I'd go to one where they never really quote the Bible. It would all just be, you know, stories from life, I guess. Or if they did quote the Bible, it would just be the message. Uh, and so I just, I just didn't ever feel like it was quite right. There was a mega church we were going to for a while. And I'm like, okay, I don't think the gospel is this popular where there should be this many people here. And so I, I didn't really trust the leadership until I came to the church that I'm at right now. And uh, I definitely get the feeling that they genuinely care about us. And it's, it's been really easy to trust them. And I find it easier to trust them too, because, uh, you know, my, my salvation doesn't hinge on whether I trust them or not. Also, they are there truly voluntarily. And I know that Latter-day Saints will say their leaders are there voluntarily, but um, that's kind of true and kind of not true because they were called to be that. And I don't really believe that you have the choice to say no in those callings in the Mormon church. And I mean, I'm interested in you guys' opinion too, but that's my take um, on that. Uh, do you have any thoughts, Matthew? In terms of um, if I trust the leadership of my church, right? Yeah, or, or if it was difficult to get there. Mm. Yeah, I, so I, I mean, I didn't really church hop much. I kind of, mine's, my journey's a little bit weird just because like I'm, I'm a theology dork. Um, so, you know, I really wanted, I, I treated leaving the LDS church like a, like a divorce. You know, I didn't want to jump into a new church too quickly. So I studied for about a year what I, what the scriptures say and what I believed and, you know, what I believe the scripture teaches. And so, um, I found, so I found this, this is the only reformed Baptist church in the area really. So I started attending and then I started meeting with the pastors there and they were just very welcoming and very, very personable. And they're very, they, they seemed very trustworthy to me. And I could tell that they were being genuine, you know, when they would, when they you know, invited me in and they said they were glad to have me there. So it, I, I felt like I never really had trust issues with them specifically, but I mean, in terms of joining a church, yeah, there's definitely this kind of fear of, Oh my gosh, what if I get stuck in another cult or something, you know? <laughs> so for about a year, I was like really cautious and like really, you know, careful and like wanting to make sure I knew what I believed and what I, you know, what, what scripture taught. And I was worried about getting stuck in a fluffy church that was like taught some whack theology, you know, like, what is it like Bethel, Bethel or Hillsong? You know, you see some of those churches and you're, they have the glory clouds and the smoke machines and stuff. And you're like, Oh my goodness. I hope I don't, I don't you know, that's, that's crazy to me. But, um, but um, yeah, so never, I didn't really have trouble with my particular leadership. You know, we kind of hit it off, especially one of my pastors, the pastor that uh, baptized me, pastor Sarver, he's a, th he's a super theology nerd. So like as part of the catechizing process, I guess, you know, like the process of becoming a member uh, we would go over the confession of our church, you know, the 1689 London Baptist confession of faith. And, um, it probably took like three or four times longer than it should have because we'd go off in tangents, you know, he'd be, you know, we talking about like, um, oh man, you know, like ancient Greek philosophers. He, he does research too, you know, and he'd be talking about Martin Luther and books we've read and things like that. And he's like, yeah, maybe we should get back to the confession. You know, <laughs> we're kind of getting off topic. So we really hit it off. I like, I like talking to him a lot. He's a good guy. All right, Paul, how was it for you uh, coming out of Mormonism? Was it difficult to uh, to embrace leadership in Christianity? Uh, I, I would say not initially, no. Um, so, like, the leadership of our church was really warm and welcoming, uh, kind of from the start. Like, 
and not just like the lead pastor was that way. Um, you know, the associate pastors were more warm and welcoming. Uh, I never had any difficulty approaching any of them and asking questions. Um, the elders uh, have likewise over the years been approachable and, and, and wise counselors to me when needed. You know, I've been in, in Bible studies that have been led by uh, some of the elders and, um, you know, into their houses. It's really nice to to have that. Um, so there, I'm kind of like you, Michael, though, there, there's been times when I've kind of questioned uh, some things, you know, um, it kind of, it concerned me a little bit when the, when the lead pastor started publishing books. Um, I'm not sure exactly why. I just, I worried that it was a step towards kind of a cult of personality type of thing. Um, but I, you know, I've tried to remember that, uh, you know, as, as long as there's not other evidences of that, um, going on, uh, that it's okay for him to write a book. (laughs) So, um, you know, there's, there's been that, there's been, there's been times I've, I've questioned some decisions that were made, but I try to, I try to remember, you know, Matthew was talking about the congregational polity, you know, I'm, I'm not on the elders board. Um, so I'm not privy to decisions and discussions that are made about, um, you know, when it's time to move on from a, from a particular staff member of the church. Uh, so I try to remember that and I try to keep, um, you know, Hebrews 13, 17, uh, in mind when I think about those kind of things, uh, which says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give a give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So I try to remember that, you know, they, they do have, uh, as Matthew was saying, an, an authority to lead the church and to guide the church as shepherds. Um, and from what I know of those men, they take it seriously. Uh, so I think times when I've been tempted to be maybe ultra critical of decisions because I liked a certain staff member and now he's on to another church, you know, uh, I've tried to be understanding that I'm not privy to all of the reasons why those things happen. Um, so it's, I think as, as I've matured as a Christian and I'm not fully mature in any sense, but, but as I have matured over the years, I, I, like I said, I keep in mind that, that I'm not, uh, I'm not an elder and you know, that there, there are meetings that go on and discussions that take place that I'm not privy to. So, um, but in terms of, in terms of trusting the leadership, uh, those are the, so there's some of the difficulties that I started to have a little bit. Um, but I've also tried to keep in mind that I come from a background, uh, a family background that, um, uh, at times grumbled about LDS leadership, uh, at the local level. And so I try to keep in mind that, that, uh, Maybe I've come by some uh, some tendency to to view local leaders uh, maybe in in not the most positive light uh, that I've come by that tendency honestly and I need to check it uh, unless there's unless there's real evidence to the contrary. So yeah, well, one of the things too that is um, really refreshing to me is you you look at the LDS leadership and they've got quote saying you know it is wrong to ever you know criticize a leader of the church, even if the criticism is true. Right. And, uh, you know, they're just the ultimate authority, you know, I mean, there's such a thing as like, you know, sola scriptura, but I don't know what, you know, only the prophet would be, but that's what I feel like Mormonism basically is. Um, they, they're, uh, not accountable to anybody, but you look at leadership in, uh, in Christianity and they are accountable, uh, if nothing else, to the Bible. And we're encouraged to look at the Bible and, and look at what they're preaching. And if it's if it's wrong, then we know that that's not somewhere that we should be. But if they are preaching biblically, like that's a pretty good sign, to me at least, um, if, if it's a biblical church, that that is a, a good place to be. And I guess there's still uh, like admin, you know, policies and things like that, that I may not agree with. And the way I kind of came to terms with it, you know, I left Mormonism. I'm, I'm looking for the perfect church. And my first pastor said, look, if you find the perfect church, don't let me come to it because I'll ruin it. And I really like that quote. Uh, but I, I started to realize, like, there is no perfect church. Cause I, I visited a lot of them. And I'm like, either I really love the, the atmosphere, but the people are kind of standoffish, or I really love the pastor. It's like, I love certain aspects, but there'd be something always that I didn't like. And I think it's because I was looking for perfection being an ex-Mormon. 
So I just started thinking about it like a sandwich. You know, if, if the sandwich has got the 90% of the stuff in there is stuff that I like, then I'm okay with there being a piece of pineapple in there, you know, like pineapple on pizza. I can live with it if there's bacon on there because it cancels out that, uh, that bad taste. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's a sense in which um, there's, there are real positives to a congregational polity because, you know, if you think about when changes are made in the LDS church, they come down from above and the local leaders read a letter from the pulpit. This is what the, the leaders on high have said we're going to do. And so we're all going to fall in line with this new policy change, you know, and there's really not an opportunity to say, well, as a congregation or even as an individual, well, is that the right decision <laughs> for, for things, you know, like, and I, I remember um, at our church now, uh, there was a time when the decision was made to do away with uh, student ministry during the the sermon hour, the adult uh, sermon hour, um, and to have the, uh, the students, which are the, the middle school and high school students, uh, attend the sermon hour with their parents. And they still have, you know, they would still have uh, a Sunday evening or a Wednesday evening uh, student time, right, for their fellowship with their peers. Um, and I remember there, there are some difficulties to that because when you're, when you're a parent of teenagers, it makes it challenging when they're like, well, I don't want to go to the sermon. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of times the topic doesn't apply to me. You know, you, you, get, you get into some of the, some of the pushback from teenagers that they don't want to go to church, you know what I mean? Whereas when they have their peer time during that, that hour, they're fine with it because they get to see their friends and hang out and do, you know, that kind of thing. But the, I really at first had a lot of disagreements with that decision and it, it really was kind of bothering me. And, um, you know, my wife was like, why don't you talk to Philip about it? Philip is the student was the student pastor. And so, you know, there was an opportunity for me to sit down with them and, and ask him, you know, and I, and I had a lot of concerns and I felt really strongly, you know, so it probably felt to him like I was criticizing him, you know? Um, but he sat with me and he, um, you know, he, he talked about the reasons why the decision was made and what they saw as the potential benefits for the students in terms of, you know, sitting through a sermon and, and hearing the same uh, Bible message that their parents are hearing and, and getting, you know, uh, in-depth biblical training that, that maybe doesn't always take place within the student ministry because they're focused on topics relevant to students. Um, and so, you know, I just thought, I, just, I found it refreshing that I could sit down with him and have even have a conversation that even at times maybe was a little bit heated, but he was willing to sit down with me and, and, and take accountability and say, Hey, here's why we made the decision. You know, I, I get that you might not disagree with it, but at least, you know, here's the reasons why. And I appreciated that you, you, you couldn't do that in the LDS church. If you tried to do that about a decision, because most decisions aren't made about the local at the local level, you know? So if you tried to go to a local leader and ask about a decision that was made about policy, they would just shoot you up the chain and you really would never get an answer. So, have uh, have either of you guys actually tried reaching out to the leaders of the church about changing something? Our church now, or the the LDS? Uh, sorry, no, no, I mean, uh, I mean the Mormon church. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I know you've got experience with that though. <laughs> I I do. I um I, I have to talk about this because I totally forgot about it, and you're bringing it up, and and I just I just remember wanting to have that kind of experience and. In Mormonism, because you know I'm, I'm in these debate groups as a Mormon apologist, and people keep bringing up this hymn, "Praise to the Man," and it's like, how is this not worship of Joseph Smith? And so I finally wrote a letter to church headquarters, and I said, I think we should remove this song from the hymnal. Um, you know, it is perceived as being worship, and even if the critics are wrong, which they most likely are it is still an opportunity cost because the Doctrine and Covenants says that the Song of the Righteous is a prayer. And so we could be singing a prayer to God, but instead we are singing this song to Joseph Smith. So I don't think that it it benefits us enough, you know, and it's hurting our image. So I sent this letter to church headquarters and, and they got back to me with a little form letter that just basically said, we appreciate your thoughts we are considering what you have said. And, and that was it. It was, it was signed by somebody, but it was just a run-of-the-mill form letter. And I was like, wow. You know, it's just like all after all my faithful years, after serving my mission for two years, and 
and paying tithing all this time and, and magnifying my callings, I'm not worth more than a form letter to you guys. So you're just uh, a cog yeah. in the wheel. You're just a cog in the wheel, Michael. And if the wheel falls off, they'll put another one on and keep on rolling over you. Yep. Yep. Doesn't matter to them if if I, if I get lost, they'll just replace me with somebody else. Now let's imagine if they did take your your suggestion and did apply it. Now what if they said that's a great idea, and then they sent you a bill for all of the hymnals they would have to replace across the entire church? <laughs> they would do that, wouldn't they? And then I would have left. <laughs> I would have left anyway. Uh, a couple of years later, finding out that they had a hundred billion dollars and they were trying to foot me the bill. Um, I mean, it was already crazy because I don't know if you guys remember, but they used to have janitors in their buildings. Um, and then they made that announcement one day, one dark Sunday. I think it was storming outside that day. And they said, uh, it is now the members' responsibility to clean the ward buildings. And oh my gosh, that was always the worst Sunday because, you know, half of the people wouldn't show up consistently. And it's, You'd have to be pulling everybody else's slack. It was one family awful. would show up, <laughs> one family and a couple of missionaries. Yeah, yeah. Usually we'd, there'd be like two families uh, with us, and yeah. And so like, okay, I'm basically have to clean the whole the whole building now. Mm. And then you find out they have a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it it does it hurts a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, that that's a that's a popular uh, message that you hear from post Latter-day Saints, that, that policy bothers them. Yeah. Well, if Brianna were here, she would tell you that I have an aversion to chores. It's not one of my spiritual gifts. (laughs) (laughs) We thank you for tuning into this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send us a message there with comments or questions by clicking send a message at the top of the page and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, and suggestions for future episodes, etc. You can also send us an email at outerbrightness at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness podcast on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, you can check out our new YouTube channel, and if you like it, be sure to lay hands on that subscribe button and confirm it. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen and help spread the word. You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well. Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road by visiting their ministry page at adamsroadministry.com. Stay bright, flyer flies. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, the Word made flesh, the risen Son. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of the Lord endures